Hello, America! I woke up this morning and I thought to myself, you know what the world needs? Another podcast. My name is Chase Ricker and I am the host of this very pod, The Digest Show, brought to you by Black Rectangle Collective. Now, before we crack the proverbial champagne bottle on the bow of this sucker and send it out on its maiden voyage upon the podcast ocean, I wanted to tell you what you're getting yourself into. Me and my good friend, artist Joshua Blue, and I are going to be talking about films we love. New, old, instant classics, comedies, rom-coms, we're going to run the gamut. Now, we're not experts, we're not critics, and we're sure it's all not going to pretend to be. What we are is we're lovers, and we're going to have some fun, all right? So, welcome. On this first show, me and my boy are going to be delving into an all-time modern classic that's very near and dear to both of us. So, without further ado, I give you episode one of The Digest Show. Let's go! Hello, Charles. You want to get liquored up and go to the Peach Street dance with me? Mmm, <laughs> do I ever. On this inaugural BRC show, we're going to be talking about Paul Thomas Anderson's 2007 masterpiece, and I do not use that word lightly, There Will Be Blood. Joshua, this is uh, personally one of my favorite movies, if not my favorite movie, and I think it may be one of the first, definitely not the first, but one of the first movies we fell in love with together. Why do you love this movie, and what are your first memories of it? Yeah, um, you're right. It's one of one of my favorite movies, and um, it's one that I've revisited uh, periodically since sure. it's come out. I think to start, let's start with what I remember about when it first came out. I remember watching that movie for the first time and being absolutely punched in the gut. And it's so fucking good. That movie. Uh, hit at a time for me where I was just kind of discovering good cinema, like good filmmaking. And when that one came out, that was like zenith level. Like, oh my goodness. I mean, it's everything I like in a movie because it's escapism, but it's also challenging. It's a period piece. It's historical. It's yeah. Timeless. It's 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 so well made in every facet. So uh, that's the the originally it just hit like a punch you've never been you've never been given before i really think for us personally it came around at the perfect time for like our brains and what yes. we were like capable like we just started to get excited about sophisticated stuff and this movie is just it, it it's it is sophisticated and i think for paul thomas anderson's career and his trajectory this movie is a real shift um it's a period piece um obviously he was known for uh Boogie Nights and Magnolia and big, you know, films. But this movie is is dark and um, it touches on things I don't think he had yet. And as a writer, as a storyteller, I think it really set his career in, in the, the direction it still is going now. Agreed. Agreed. I think uh, Boogie Nights solidified PTA as a, a name. He was going to sure. be around making films for a while and he was going to be making good films but there will be blood is the one that solidifies the legacy of a film like the guy the guy knew how to make movies yeah exactly yeah it's the one that's going to get him on lists for the rest of his life yeah yeah and the the films afterwards the master and phantom thread this film really sets the tone for those 
sets the bar is what it's it the sets. bar i mean yeah it's yeah a the high bar. one a oh really high one yeah um but let's get into it i mean I, sure. I we just talked about him as a storyteller and the process and of making this film when you read about it and the story i think are really integral and really vital to the energy of the film um i know you really enjoyed learning about that can you maybe talk about what you gleaned from some interviews and things when they talked about making this film and um how the experience and how it lent itself to the yeah. finished product yeah i mean so there's kind of two there's kind of two ways you can go in a conversation like this you can start talking about lenses and cameras and rigs and things like that which i think we agreed from the beginning that's not what we're trying to do we're trying to geek out in our own rights and talk about the things that we can speak to absolutely um, so for me, when it comes to process, the process of making the film, the things I think of are what were the inspirations for the writer and the the director and the actor, we'll say. Um, and what what did they go through to prepare and to make the film in that regard, rather than how do they actually capture images on film, which sometimes can be... That's I mean, a whole can, other conversation. Absolutely, absolutely. Because, I mean, they did use, I will, I will have to say, they did use some antique lenses that got some shots that just make that, that film timeless. Like, it's absolutely, it stands alone. You, you can roll that film anytime in the future, and it will, it will feel like it could have been made yesterday. Like, it really, when you say that thing about the lenses, I know we don't want to get too technical, but yeah. that makes so much sense. Like yes. it's, it, it just captures that Southern California, although it was filmed in West Texas, I believe, but it captures that American, um, almost, uh, what's the word sepia tone thing. You know, it, yeah. it captures that austere mystique of the, of the period for sure. Of the West. Yeah. Yeah. The West, and, the West. And, um, so I think, let's start this way. I think the thing that struck me the most was as far as Paul Thomas Anderson's aspect. Because for me, when talking about this film, there's really going to be Paul Thomas Anderson, Daniel Day-Lewis, mm. and there's going to be like one mention of Paul Dano. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, so to, to get to the Paul Thomas Anderson, he, reading interviews, watching interviews, he was obsessed with... The simple idea of how the hell did these people get this stuff how, out of the ground? They get it out, yeah. And and he he was so, and it shows in every mm. aspect of the film. But uh, you know, they learned how to build oil derricks, and they learned the proper terms for these things. They Daniel Day Lewis used the tools that these yeah. people used, uh, and. And I think, you know, I, I, one thing that I have to come, I have to say just right off the cuff, something that kept coming up was uh, The Treasure of Sierra Madre, which I have, I've, yeah, I've seen yeah. it once, uh, but it's been so long ago that I can't, I can't really recall. It was in a binge phase of my life, just watching movie after movie. Sure. And, and I don't really, I mean, I remember Humphrey Bogart looking kind of menacing in, in the yeah. So I can see some aesthetics there, but but really, that was a, I think that's a really big influence on PTA, and he talks about I think he, there's like some legend that he watched that movie a hundred nights in a row or something before yeah. filming. Maybe you can talk about that influence on on the film, the well, film's I mean, influence rather. For, I mean, from I mean, from my standpoint alone, is it really comes to there's okay, it comes to the aesthetic of the film, and yeah. it comes to the aesthetic of the mean, the grit, mm. right? So. 
Treasure of Sierra Madre has this grit about it. And like even Bogey, who is this just tough, slap you around, take no shit kind of a guy. Dirty motherfucker, yeah. He's got a next level of 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 kind of a wildness in his eyes. Okay. And and but but for me, the biggest thing that I, I could could speak to is the just the aesthetic of the visual aesthetic of the film. Seeing some of the clips that I saw from uh, Treasure of Sierra Madre, it, there's a lot of contrast, heavy blacks, lights. Dark, it's a lot, a low light film. It's being shot scenes at the campfire outside in the openness. You know, it, it, that's something that I picked up from from that film. But um, I think for me, I just got to circle back if I can and just yeah, sure. really think what shows more than anything in the process is is Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, reading books and reading uh, just anything he could get his hands on about how these people made these oil derricks and and the process that they went through. And and if I can just leave with this, I think one of the biggest things that came along is they said they were making it up as they went along. Like they had to because they were pioneering an industry. There was no standard. No one had done right what these people were doing before and they had to make it up as they went along. People had to die gruesome deaths, you know, to There's in order literal to, blood in the oil. Like blood yes. was shed to get this. It literally. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I really think as Daniel Day Lewis is famous for and we're gonna touch a little bit on something we're gonna really get into later, but he's obviously famous for becoming his characters. And I think at a role like this Really, it works better than others, maybe because of how hands-on um, the the performance is when he uses the tools. And you, there's one scene where he's sketching out the Derek and he's oh. how to build it. Yes, and that's that's real. Like you said, there's a parallel between the story they're telling and how they're telling it, um, and and it really mirrors. Um, well, I, and, mirrors and Daniel itself. Day, you know, is uh, at least in some part is a woodworker. So he kind of had this natural kind of inclination with those sort of things. And you it was can natural, tell yeah. when he sketches it oh, yeah. that, that it's not the first time he's drawn something to build. And I mean, I don't want to get too, I don't want to get, I don't want to talk too much about that part because that's one of the things when we get to, to acting that I'm going to mention. Um, Definitely. But, but I think uh, the, the, there's a sense of authenticity in this film that drives through everything that comes from the process. For example, I mean, you would say casting is a process. Sure. Casting is a process to make a film. So let's take HW, for example. This kid had never acted before. What was he like a, like a rodeo, a rodeo guy? Yeah. yeah. Or, or a rodeo rider yeah. or something, something to that effect. But so they, uh, they actually put out a cast uh, – they reached out to the local schools in Texas, and they asked, like, the schools to, like, profile their children and, and kind of send them anyone who uh, – the quote was, uh, didn't play with a Game Boy but liked to play outside. Gotcha. Right? And, and that's how they found this kid that plays HW. And, I mean – He's amazing. Wow. It's so good. Yeah, it is. Um, but, especially because his character's – you know, mostly mute. It sure. speaks, tells you so much with his eyes, his thoughts, his distrust. Yeah. Um, so did you have another comment you wanted to make? Well, I was just going to say that speaks to the authenticity of it. Of yeah. it all it is that they just they're 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 filming, they're getting in their groove, and they just something doesn't feel right about what and and they need a little bit more authenticity to go with the whole thing. You know. 
Yeah, I mean, I think uh, what I read and and listened to in interviews was the first couple of weeks of making this movie did not go well because of the very thing that we're talking about. They didn't know what they were doing. They're making it up as they go, and their little gems happen, like finding that kid. And they find I, I, I in one interview, Daniel Day Lewis, he doesn't like to look at dailies. That's just not his thing. But yeah. the but PTA said you might want to see this. You know, after a couple of weeks, and he was like, this is this can't be it. You know, they were they were. There was trial and error. He he wasn't he was upset with what he saw, what he first his first effort, and they just kept plugging along. And again, it just it mirrors the story they're telling. Absolutely, and and the, and it kind of speaks to that whole figuring it out as you go along of the the nature of prospecting too. You know, these mm. people who were drilling for oil. I mean, um, just another bit on process. I mean, sure. One of the one of the quick quips that I heard uh, was that every Thursday or once a week the crew had steaks and vodka, so they they would have <laughs> a steak with no sides and no mixers for the vodka whatsoever, just to like put themselves in like this is what you get. Those are gritty people, man. I was watching the movie and I was thinking about like their diet and how like sinewy all these people are because mm-hmm. they're just working and just drinking straight liquor and meat. And these people didn't even have bread, <laughs> you know. Just meat, potatoes, uh, is crazy. No, and I mean he's and thinking. I mean he's giving, you know, Plainview is giving HW booze from the time he's yeah an infant. I mean the first time he cares for him, he's pouring whiskey on his bottle. You yeah. Know? Um, and and I think so I just wanted to mention that little thing. But the, the sure. one of my last like big points I have uh, in particular about process is, uh, so. In doing research for this, one of the things that I indulged in was a uh, Quentin Tarantino rundown of There Will Be Blood a couple Shocking. of years. Yeah, after. yeah, you know, you know, QT is my guy. So, uh, but he makes a comment in there that there are no real set pieces in the film, and then he says, you know, after I watched it again, I realized, well, there is. Uh, but they're just different. And I think one thing I wanted to speak to on that is they are different. You know, having made, having made a film, which in our, and in my one experience, I'll say was the, the short film that I made was an entire set piece. It was all choreographed from start to finish this on a dime to that on a dime to you be here and there. And one of the things that kind of stands out is, I, I did read in the more technical side that they they didn't zoom. There were there are no zoom lenses in this film. There it's shots that move, and it, and and they're single shots that move that are placed right up against another single shot that moves, minus a little bit of blackness. Totally. And and it's just this raw, simple filmmaking that again I think. It's just it's so lovely when you come across a piece of art that just has so much depth where things fold over on themselves and and you're like it couldn't be that way it couldn't be any other way and you couldn't make this movie with any with with a drone shot or anything too complicated because if you do it won't speak to the man who is slinging a pickaxe against the wall and climbing up a ladder that he built himself he's of the earth man yes and and that's something for the process part of this that really really hit me and and made me think is is that how everything is this simple part that's stacked upon one another to go further and further and that's daniel plainview 
that is Daniel Plainview. I mean, mining for silver in the beginning, finding oil, figuring out how to get it out of the ground, scraping up enough to go move your to this to get more, and then slowly building up these simple steps until you're in a mansion living in a tent. Yeah, by the end of it, the man is completely devoid from reality. He's oh, living, he's gone. detached because gone. because of what you're talking about, that journey from... That so, process. Yeah, that process, baby. Yeah. 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 Um, I, that gives me a great window to transition into the story part that I want to talk about. Sure. Um, I really, this viewing, I've seen this movie a hundred times and it's one of those, it's like your favorite record or something. You see something different every time. And the thing that really stuck out to me about the story was... Um, the theme of duality in the film, um, the father-son, the religion versus capitalism, Eli versus Daniel. Um, and there was one scene that made it click for me, and it it's, it was a slow pan around a Derek, and I believe that it's exploding with oil at the time. And the next scene is almost the same shot, but it's the building of the church. Um and I, I don't know. Did you notice that at all, or do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I mean, there, there are a lot of... There are a lot of those dichotomies throughout the whole thing. I mean, when you yeah. th this particular shot you're speaking of, when you say the Derek's on fire, so is that you must be speaking about when it's at night and it flashes and you start and you see Eli Sunday looking out over it burning while yeah, it's and then the next scene is the daytime and he's yeah. I think for me, if I can, talking about story at that. For this particular rewatch, which is the second one in in a month's time of the whole film, but mm. with this particular rewatch, I got something completely new. I, I, it, something that hit me before, but it was the relationship with H.W. that mm. comes during that oil derrick burning scene. That's the one that really I was really fixated on because. You know, th there's a whole thing that y that I could get into, and I mean, if we're talking about story, I suppose now's the time. But yeah. but H.W. and Daniel's relationship this time has been the thing that I focused on the most because at the end of at the end of the by the end of this film, uh, Plainview is just separated, like like we said, from humanity, from reality, from everything. Yeah. Um, and one of the things you're led to believe about Plainview is that he has this – he he hates people. You you just – he hates people. He there's, literally says that. Yeah, and you but you get the feeling that there's no one that's ever lived that he actually cared about except for H.W. And at first you get there – you know, he wants to play up this. You're just a cute face to to At the end, yeah, land. he really yeah. just dumps him. He does, and he's like, yeah. "You're you're just a cute face to lease up land." But but the this the shot where where young H W where his father has just been killed by a falling beam, and mm. young H W is crying in the basket, and this is in the film before there's any dialogue. Which, by the way, we got. To oh, we're getting to it. My oh, yeah. God. Um, so H W is in the basket, and Daniel does realize the benefit of having that child at that moment. But you I think see it almost immediately, I think. But I think the biggest thing that Daniel realizes is that this is this is hard land. And if something someone doesn't care after this infant, this infant will die. And I think Daniel realizes that at the same in the same token of the advantage of having him. And I think that just to kind of briefly cap, I think H.W. is the only person in the story that actually hurts Daniel Plainview's feelings. 
He's the only one. Henry, the fake brother, uh, gets a really close jab, but he doesn't hurt Daniel's feelings. I think Daniel always expected it. I yeah. think he angers Daniel because Daniel fell for it in the first place. That but might be it, my favorite Daniel reaction is the is is Henry when yes. he realizes he asks him about the, the house and if he remembers it. And then there's the shot of him in the ocean and you see him start to realize. And then the next shot is Henry wasted yes. asking him for money. And you see him, that guy got so close to him. And because he got so close he and realizes he, he sees his deceit finally and fully, he's so fucking upset. But one part of that, that relationship that I didn't really like fully recognize before is how early HW sees that this guy is full of shit. Right. He tries to, he obviously he tries to set him on fire. Not really mixed messages there. He's letting him know how he feels. But Daniel doesn't, in that moment, Daniel doesn't have a conversation. He doesn't acknowledge what HW acknowledges. He just kind of handles, he disciplines his kid. But I love that. You could just see in that kid's eyes that he was squinting. He went through rummage through his stuff. He yeah. didn't trust him at all. He figured something out, and that was no doubt in this. It's amazing having watched a film at least a dozen times. I don't I know. know the number, but at least a dozen. How you can oh. something just dawns on you like that. Yeah. And when HW lit the fire to the dude's bunk, I realized like, wow, HW man, he called it. This kid's got the he's got the instincts of a. He's got Daniel. Yeah. <laughs> he says at the end, he says, "I have you, there's no part of me in you." And he responds with, "I'm I praise God and I thank God that there is no part of you in me." But I I don't think so. I think no. he's got a little little DP in him. He's got the best parts of Daniel Plainview in him, and that's the thing. He's got and the competition. That's what and and just kind of circle back to the HW thing that I was on. I think yes, that I think that. Uh, when at the end of the movie, when the bastard in a basket, bastard in a basket, oh, that is Daniel trying to convince himself that that HW totally. is nothing more than a bastard in a basket I that he thought. donated a little bit of time to, and that's it. But I think because HW is telling him I'm leaving, and I think that HW is the only person that Daniel Plainview has ever cared about, absolutely in any way, and that just became so. I think. When when Daniel leaves HW on the train, I think that is a moment for Plainview where his character shifts slightly from and, and, and is, is just more willing to dismiss all of everything. Well, look how how much it hurts him when um, when Eli's making him scream to the rafters of the church that he abandoned his child. Absolutely. The hesitation, the frustration like in his face, like. It pains him to say it out loud. We see him questioning himself for the first time, really. Um, but yeah, I, I noticed that this time around too, and how like pivotal that is to the character. And it, the, the the second he gets a window, like you said, to dismiss him as just a bastard in a basket, and then he it turns into just competition because you realize you're my competition now mm -hmm. to mask his real feeling. Because like you said, it's the only time in his life or that we get to see him be hurt or be affected by another human being. He has to give himself a reason to hate HW. Yeah. He, he, he has to invent a reason for that. Um, and I'll say to, I mean, obviously you, you could do, I, I believe that we and anyone could do a series of four hour long podcasts the rest of our lives to talk about that baptism scene. Oh my uh, God. But, but you're right about the hesitation in it. 
it is he has that little head jerk it kills well, me every time he almost smiles and jerks his head to the side before he starts saying it it's like it, one of my favorite parts in the whole movie well, me me too i actually i have my note for the baptism scene is that daniel's baptism is eli is the signing of eli's death certificate oh my god because daniel why daniel breaks down because he knows that he did actually abandon hw and he feels bad about it but at did the he though time, he got him back yeah i mean no but uh, come on i mean when he pulls him off the oil rig uh, off the oil derrick and brings him into the mess hall when he goes to take care of his business opportunity and is yeah. fawning over the fact that he's got an ocean of oil under him his son is screaming don't leave don't leave yeah. i mean it's and then HW makes it pretty clear he abandoned him when he gets off that train and then True. slaps the shit out of yeah. him. I mean, Honorable and, mention and, in this movie, real quick, Syrian Hines. Pretty awesome background guy. Right. Um, his oh my god. Cause he and it reminded me to, I wanted to mention that. Not that, that guy needs a shout out, but from us, but he um he says, uh, is HW gonna be okay? And Daniel goes, No, he is not. That's right? it. That's all yep. I got. Yep. <laughs> he knew and, it. He did, and and what, but what, and and that's the thing is like I, I think that that moment. So I said leaving HW on the train was a, a point where his character shifted, but mm. I think that that moment right there is when he knew. I think he knew he lost his best friend, and I know I hate to like take it to a level like that, but like when we're, Dude, we're talking about level, story man. right now, and definitely that at that moment. Daniel realized he lost his best friend because HW was the only human alive that Daniel Plainview confided in wholly and fully. I mean, he let's told get him real. Let's, let's get real. He brought him along as a cute face to sell, but he's also confiding in him and teaching yes. him the business. Yes. And he talks to several points in the movie who he references dreaming about having family. As a young, he's like, even as a young boy, I knew I wanted to fill that house with kids. He wants um, an heir, he wants lineage. Yeah, because he knows he's building an empire, and he wants it. Come goes back to his his thirst of control, and if he wants anybody when he's gone to have what he's created, he he wants it to be of his own kind. And he doesn't obviously, again, not to get too deep into it, but he probably could never allow someone close enough to have a family or a child. And he gets this opportunity to raise a kid. He finds that that's the closest thing he's ever going to have. Yeah, absolutely. And and I mean, talking about that, I mean. One thing, kind of to bring dovetail two things or bring two things together. I mean, with Henry, um, the moment when Plainview is asking him about the peach tree dance. Yeah, that that's the only moment in the film where Plainview is a joking, mm. b not remarking on business in some way shape or form and see he's reminiscing which are th right. three he's things that being be vulnerable the, it, precisely wrapped up into one he's being vulnerable it's Good the Lord, first that time. guy gets wasted in this movie oh wow every wow. time every time i watch it i have a couple drinks too many because i'm trying to keep up with old dp he's like face down on the wooden floor just yeah and you know drugs. you know that they will you know they don't talk about it it's like an no they don't they yeah. don't talk about it, but you know Daniel Day Lewis was drunk as fuck. I mean, he some of those hangovers that that you see it, man. Has, there's just no. I mean, like we've with been Bandy hungover. Wait. I have. Yeah, Sorry, I've been Mom. hungover. I mean, um, it, 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 the one that sticks out to me is when Bandy wakes him up. Sure. And I love yes. that scene too. Just him waking up and trying to put his business face on and 
but he's so fucked up. He also just killed somebody and buried them. Yes, he so, did. And we're going to yeah. get to that later. Oh, yeah, we are. Let's uh, let's do a Henry poll. Okay, sure, sure. What you got? Um, What do you got? Okay, so uh, I think the main thing for me, though, is to go back to uh, it's Henry brings out a vulnerability in plain view that no one else does except yes. for HW. But Henry's vulnerability, what he brings out of uh, of Daniel is this uh, like almost childlike thing where he's mm. especially when he's first quizzing him about who sent him the letter, the letter, and oh my sister, how is she? You know he's asking these questions, um, and I think that Henry. I think Henry's purpose in the story is to serve as one of the last things that the character of Plainview needs to shed before he can become this guy that lives in the tent in the mansion. Because if you think about this film, this film really is, without doing it, without showing it all, this film is literally a, a biography of Daniel Plainview from oh, yeah. almost birth to death. I, I mean, know it's based on, it's loosely based on this Upton Sinclair novel, but Paul only Tom, the first portion. Only what, the first that's portion. That's what Paul Thomas Anderson says. He says, we got enough, you know? Yeah. From the first yeah. couple hundred pages. But to speak about Henry, I mean, I, that guy had never stood a chance. No. I mean, you just know it's not going to work out. No. You know it. The viewer knows it. HW knows it. Um, we're just waiting on Daniel to figure it out, right? Or accept I, I mean, it. I think he sees deceit. That's one thing about Daniel's characters. He, like he says, he hates people. He sees the worst in people, and he does. He he sees the deceit in everyone, and you know he sees it in this Henry character. You're just waiting on him, like you said. It's it. he oh, wants he the wants affection. Because, oh yeah, because HW is is injured at this point. His best friend's not yeah, there. Yeah, he replaces for him to talk HW to. at the business. He absolutely mm -hmm. replaces HW, mm -hmm. and, and and he does. And I I think it's uh, kind of to comment on what you were saying. Sure. Every time I watch the film, every single time I watch the film, when Plainview actually accepts Henry's story in the beginning, I'm shocked. Yeah, because you just think of Daniel Plainview as this character who is. Absolutely impervious. Yeah. Impervious to being duped by mm. anyone. He's, I mean, the way he speaks is so straight. It's exactly what it should be. The mm. way everything he There's does. There's nothing frivolous about this guy. Yeah. It, precisely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, there's one thing I want to touch on as far as the story. Um, something that really, in the little research I was doing, um, is. Paul Thomas Anderson describing this film as a horror film um, and the darkness that is in this movie. And I think that's something that's I, I would love to get into. There's a scene actually with Henry when he first meets Henry. And it kind of goes back to the, the shots you were talking about. The way the camera pans around and the foreground extends from us and the kind of warped thing it does with the light yes. and something that you can speak to way more tightly than I can. It remind it clicked. It reminded me of a horror film and not just in the darkness of the story or the characters, but the way it's shot. Um, we're going to get into the sound and the score here in a minute, which also lends itself to the darkness of the film. Um, but just when, it, when I, when I saw that, that he describes it as a horror movie, it really, even the humor is dark. Um, I don't know your thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, I came across that myself 
and I, you know, who am I too? But I gotta, I disagree. I think that, I think that techniques from horror films were used because mm. rightfully so they, I think the best techniques, the best parts of horror films were used. This, some of the sound comes in, makes oh, you yeah. feel real, real creepy. Some of the, the camera movements, like you said, make you feel eerie. I think, um, I can't say it's a horror film because really for me, it's just unsettling, which I can't immediately say is scary or lends to horror. I think that it lends itself to the, I think the feeling of being around Daniel Plainview would have been uneasy. I feel like mm. it would have been uneasy. Dude, I mean, it's look like at, seeing into your soul while you're yeah, he, he's, yeah. he's seeing in you, he's seeing through you. And, and also look at, look at how prone to just like absolutely volatile outbreaks the, the man is. I mean, throughout the entire He kills film. at least two people we see. Yes. Yes. He kills. Yeah. Two, and, 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 and like, look, well, if I'll, I'll hit on this now, but I'll come back to it when we get on to like the, the performance acting part of this thing. But okay. I mean, when the guy, when Plainview's digging the grave, when he kills Henry and he's digging the grave, that's not the first fucking grave. This guy's dug. You see it right away. He, he didn't skip. He a knows beat. how to do it. He killed this man and then immediately started digging a hole. He knew and what he, to do. And he knew how to do it. I mean, he, he, he knew yeah. how to dig that fucking grave. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. The, the, the shot from above and he just stops digging after he throws Henry in the ground. And he's shoveling dirt back on him. He stops digging, walks over and just kicks the foot back down in the grave and goes right back and starts throwing dirt on it. It's it just everything reeks of having done that before. Totally. When that when that scene when that scene happened, I remembered an earlier scene when Henry. There's also a point I just want to touch on really quick because when people are asking, when Henry specifically is asking Daniel questions, he's not that he doesn't answer his questions. He responds with questions of his own. He's asking Henry's asking Daniel about his life story, and he just responds with, "I don't like to explain myself." Mm. He says, "I lived in Kansas for a time. I couldn't stay there." I don't like to explain myself. And I remembered that when I saw how easily he dug this hole. It's like, that dude's been through some shit. Yeah, And he's been no doubt. single-minded, he's been focused, and he's probably killed people before. Yeah, I mean, to, to make a, a small uh, allusion, if you will, to another film from another amazing, amazing filmmaker group, uh, the Coen Brothers, but um, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs with... Uh, with um, the minor scene where Tom Waits. I still haven't watched it. You still haven't watched it. Um, okay. Well, we'll we'll get there. But oh, spoil uh, it. It's fine. No, I won't the rest spoil it. The no, there's no spoiler really. It's just the notion that uh, you, looking back on it, you kind of think Plainview probably killed a motherfucker over a digging hole somewhere at some point. You know, like no, this is my hole. I mean, oh, I'm just yeah. being, I'm being for real. Like this, that's that's what I kind of wanted to circle back around to, though. So you brought up the the horror film part yeah. of it. I mean, no, man, this is an American history lesson. Totally. That's what the, that's what this is. It's a history of American capitalism. Is what I, uh, that is. I just wanted it, to touch and on it's that. A, and it's a and it's a but no. But what I'm getting at though is that's a dark, dark tale. That, sure. That's yeah. Great dark. Point. Tale. And I mean, yeah. that. like, I, I don't mean to belittle the horror film part. I think, though, that's my big tangent, though, is that this is a history of American capitalism. It's the history of American mind. capitalism, a horror story. That's and, another show. <laughs> right. And these people were willing to slit throats. Oh, fuck. Yeah. To make theirs. Willing to, like, steal children and kill men. And yeah. Yeah. Um, let's get into that a little bit. 
the the capitalism aspect of it, the story of America. Um, there's one thing I want to touch on earlier, and this gives me another opportunity to. Um, he's coming into communities and he's getting his for sure. He's building like a multi-million dollar empire. He's also like giving irrigation to a part of the country that's never had it, and he's he's saying he's giving the community. He's I think he says like speckled with gold dust to Eli at some point. Blowing um, gold. Yeah. Blowing gold dust. And at first, I kind of believe him <laughs> that he thinks he's doing it for the greater good, and maybe there's a part of him that does, but it's it's peanuts to him to pay to have that done. That just lubes up the whole thing. It for does. Him to be able to go in and just take over and get his. Well, you know, isn't this the isn't this the ultimate dichotomy when you're when you mm. when you talk about as as an individual who may have a little bit of ambition, isn't this the dichotomy when you talk about those original? Uh, yeah, yeah, the robber barons, the original, the OGs, the industry, the titans of industry who started the whole thing. I mean, that's the dilemma. Is you can say that it was a lubricant for him to build his fortune, but at the same time, let's just say oil never was a thing, and let's mm. say that no one ever, no, no oil, and there was there was no wealthy resource in Little Boston. Right. Okay. There wouldn't have been a school. There wouldn't have been any roads. No. There wouldn't have been any churches. Nope. These people would have been eating potatoes. Generally. And yeah. yep. I mean, and that's what would have happened. So there is that. Okay. Yes, that is but, true. But then you have to ask yourself, how much was the right hand taking while the left hand was building that school? It's and, almost and, like who was it, Carnegie or somebody gave away like two thirds of their fortune when he dies? I believe that's Carnegie. Yeah, it's like to help us forget some of the horrible things he may have done to acquire such a fortune. But I think you had another point. Go ahead. Oh, uh, no, 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 please go ahead. Oh, no, I just really wanted to touch on that and the and, and the religious fact. Um, I really, really enjoy watching, obviously, these the two main characters, the actors give great performances. But the way they're just it's a chess match between the two of them for most of the movie. It's a boxing match. And they're both trying to out each other's deceit. And there's religion and there's capitalism. Um, and that's part of the that's part of the movie that I just enjoy every single time I watch it. For sure. And and actually, you know, come to think of it, there was one thing I was going to save a little a, a little longer, but I think it Give might it actually come in right now while we're still close to the capitalism cool. topic. Is uh, again in that little snippet from. Uh, the Tarantino breakdown, which I think the reason I gravitated to that one is because they're peers. They're they're genuine peers. They they both make great films. Do you think they hang out? Absolutely. And drink liquor and watch each other's movies? Absolutely. I mean, let's get real. Fiona yeah. Apple just came out with a, a whole By the way, have you off. listened to that shit? I haven't, but... Oh my god. Fiona girl. Is it good? <laughs> oh, yeah, we'll get on crazy. it, but but uh, she releases a thing uh, like a tell-all interview, and basically said that uh, something to the effect of the only thing she needed to quit cocaine was to be trapped in a room with Quentin Tarantino and Paul Thomas Anderson while they were all fucked up on cocaine. Oh my god! Can you and imagine? It's like, oh no, I can't imagine two people. I can't imagine those two people in their late twenties, early thirties, having that much success. Cocaine, like with their heads both in the same room. I'm sure that was pretty fucked up. Damn. Uh, no she doubt. wrote a book. No, she did like a uh, like a interview, like a tell-all interview because her new album's coming out. She's doing press, you know how that Got shit. Works. 
Um, All right, that's enough of our Fiona Apple segue. It is. <laughs> to, to come back to what I was saying about the yeah, do it. part, uh, in that QT uh, breakdown of um, There Will Be Blood, he mentions Plainview having accomplished something you would consider in like classical literature, the heroic rite. Mm. Okay. So, you, you, and the heroic rite being that you've put up with so much hell that you've gained this, uh, I guess, in this um, impunity. Sure. For, for future missteps, but mm. but I think it make there's something about that because Plainview has gone through hell. The man the man has gone through hell. I mean, when he, he when he breaks his leg in that well, first in that mine shaft. <laughs> yeah, when he breaks his leg and he's crawling out, and it's just like th- there's no one around. You saw the scene. He's in the middle of That's the- all I can think of is like, did it go from night to day and day again or vice versa oh, as he's dragging himself? The motherfucker drug himself yeah. from the mine shaft into some sort of town Office. with a hunk of gold in his breast pocket. Silver, yeah. Silver in his breast pocket. And that's it, you know? And that. That's that, him in a nutshell, right? Well, the point being is, does he not earn. That mansion, does he not earn all? I mean, did anybody else in Little Boston go through that to bring right. that oil out of the ground? I sure. Mean, to make that money. So there's sure. that. And, and it's also, he never, Plainview is never hateful to anyone who doesn't deserve it. Think about that for a second. If you haven't put it through that lens in the film, think through the film. I'm definitely on his side the whole movie. Precisely. Because, yeah. It, yeah. Even after he kills people, you're still like, yeah, kind of justified. Yeah, the guy, was a, the guy was deceitful. He was lying. Justified. Eli's annoying as fuck. Eli is something. I mean, Eli... I know that you have some thoughts about that performance. Why don't you touch on that? I do. Well, okay, so... I think that Dan- Dano's performance is good. Dano. It's good. But... You we, think it's the only we, flaw, one of the few flaws in the movie, right? I do because I don't think that I don't know if Dano's really yeah it's just you got okay we got to go into acting here but it's one of Let's those things where with with Daniel Day Lewis putting on the performance that Daniel Day Lewis puts on no one else is allowed to bring anything but their best performance of their life yeah period period sure. I mean when you see plain view do that little head shake to the side and get slapped across the face and scream i abandon it's so and, good and come out of the baptism and shake it off like a fucking stray dog in yeah. the middle of the church and he stands up and then you've got paul dano doing this kind of squeaky voice get out yeah and it's like it's there but it's just not there it's just not there it can't it can't stand beside daniel day lewis but i'm sure that that they must have known that was going to be an issue well you know there's something that i couldn't stop thinking about and i believe so he was cast to play eli but there's another actor to play paul and then it didn't work out and so Dano just stepped in to play both roles and it causes some confusion when you're watching the movie for the first time and you have to pay attention closely to catch the resolution of that first character because it's not until the very last scene of the movie 
when you yeah. find out what's been going on. But I think that might hinder the performance. I'm with you. I don't feel as strongly um, as you do. I see your point. But I think like the root of the problem is, it, as a viewer, is that confusion. And maybe not, maybe not in its totality, but I think it really plays into that. Um, no, that's a good point. I mean, maybe that is something that, that kind of subconsciously irks me a bit. You're just about like, wait, it. which one's this guy? Well, yeah, and well, and also there's there's a constant kind of tension, like when Plainview goes to the Sunday Ranch to buy it at Quell prices, and he's sitting at the table, and you know Eli says, "What well, what about our oil?" And Plainview cuts him that look, like motherfucker. Somebody somebody gave me some bad info, and now I'm mad. And and you as a viewer, you have to sit there and think, wait. Is this the same dude who just straight played his ass and like said yeah. he was this guy and then came back and was like sitting at the table and he's like, oh, but what about our oil? And, and he's you find double money. Yeah. I mean, well, at the end, you find out he paid his brother 10 grand and his brother, I guess, I, I want to touch on this. I guess at the end, he reveals he gave his brother 10 grand to show him the direction or, or to show him where the land was. And his brother went and started his own company and is now is mm -hmm. like, Right. $5,000 a week. And we don't know that until the end. Till the end. He, he, oh my God, so smart. So smart. So smart. I want to yeah. wrap up with all of our last touches on acting. So before we just get there and go down another hole, let's talk about the sound. Let's talk about the score. Let's talk about Johnny Greenwood's contribution to this film. Um, I know you said you had some questions you wanted to hit me with. Um, well, I mean, I just, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, out of this group, I'm more of the the visual person, and you're more of the auditory. Yeah. Person. So I mean, one of the things that I heard was that, well, in listening to an interview with uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, he's talking about how Johnny Greenwood went away for three weeks and came back with two hours worth of music and was like, "I think I went overboard." And I think the main thing that I wanted to ask is like, how do you? actually sidetrack after having said or realized that I just have to write this music to yeah. the movie. Like, yeah. and then he goes away and comes back with two hours of music as a musician, two hours of music, man, that's a lot of music. Like your average album is like 45 minutes, maybe long, you know? Yeah. The I mean, people listening to this can't see me, but you can, I have a shit eating grin on my face because like, when you talk about achievement as an artist, like that's just like stupid. Um, to produce that and that amount of time as someone you referenced the film that we worked on together that you made um at first i was given license to do music for that and as like a songwriter as like a, you know essentially a pop songwriter i, I didn't have the tools it was like a it's insurmountable feat to do um i think there's two facets of the score that really speak to me um the, just the classical beauty of it it's just classic and the other movies he does the score for for this director the same um, it sounds like old Hollywood. It sounds like overtures and reviews at some points. And at some points, it sounds like knives in a drawer being shaken around. Yes. Or it sounds like pieces of wood being rubbed against each other. And it really, to me, all of that intensity, coupled with the silence of the film, lends it the, itself to the darkness of this movie more than mm. any other facet of the film. Mm -hmm. The performance, the writing, the music is terrifying. It's enormous. Yes. It's grandiose. It's very particular. Um, it fills the void um, that the acting performances leave like, in a way that I haven't really seen or Never. heard rather ever Never. in my life. You Never. know, we, we both love sitting and like, we obviously we'll get it out of the way. We both love Tarantino. That's obvious. We've already referenced him. And 
for a movie that came out last summer, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You could sit there and listen to that score. It's like a playlist almost, and there's there's lots of um, examples of soundtracks like this, or scores even. But to sit and listen to this score with headphones on is unnerving. Mm-hmm. Um, it it's There are valleys and peaks, my friend, and it is intense. And it after Daniel Day-Lewis's performance, it's my favorite part of this movie. Yeah, agreed. It's it's yeah. it's the there are two things with There Will Be Blood that you can't not talk about, right? And it's Daniel Day Lewis's acting performance and it's the the score of this film, the sound, the the I mean, it's uh one thing you said that I ha- I have to agree with the score drives the story. It really does. In places where they're almost the, what you would almost classify as montages when, when, when things are happening, when, when deals are made and then we're progressing and we're showing Derek's being built and things are happening or yeah, what, I kept, whatever it I may kept be. trying to put into words, how it followed the story and how, and I think you saying it drives the story is perfect. And I kept the, what I kept coming up with is inadequate. Like, of course, that's what a score is supposed to do, but it does it with such veracity that it is like, you can't help but notice it. The, the scene where Hen HW loses his hearing um, that's when there's these real organic sounds happening. And that's the, the drawer shaking sounds I'm referencing. These, it sounds like pieces of material are being used to make this sound. That scene in particular, it was like the rhythms are offbeat. It's tickling. It's being panned from left to right. Um, and this, there's panic happening. And that scene in particular really just gave me pause. I, it, because up until that point, the majority of the sound and the music was this sweeping orchestral beautiful music and then this panic and this emergency happens and it drops down into that again this organic sound and i think it really just shows the the range that the composer has really i mean the guy could do whatever he wants um and he sure does and he the range and and the composition of this movie is just crazy Agreed, agreed. And like, absolutely, you're, you're able to dissect that stuff in ways that I can't. All I can talk about is how, as a, a viewer, it makes me feel. I mean, it, it one of the, what, that particular scene, the, the, when the Derek is on fire and HW's been injured, yeah. that is, it's just, that's peak, peak cinema. I mean, it just is. It's oh, everything. It's flexible. classic. It's when you think of the word, it, you hate saying genius. You hate saying instant classic, but that's what that fucking moment is, man. It is. It's just fucking. It's one of the best. It's one of the be- There are a lot of moments in this film that are just. Oh yeah. Will go down as quintessential clips, if you will, or shots or scenes or. I mean, they're just too. They're too good. But I mean, the sound like it. It it is. The score in particular is modern but mm, i like that but, but not it, it, it's but it's modern because it's it is in its totality it's modern yeah when you break it down there's moments of antiquity in there there's and then there's then there's modernity specifically but to- totally in this totality it is like it is very very modern correct and and i think that you know the score the, well the title of the film sets a tone for you when you go into it, right? Yeah. yeah when, you're, when you're a viewer for the first time, you're like, there will be blood. Okay, this is going to be, I mean, it's going to be some some dark stuff happen here. Heavy shit, know? yeah. But when the film opens, there's there's never, 
let's talk about the opening of the movie. It, it, I mean, you, there, has there ever been a, more of an arrival mm. to, a, to a film? Like, that film arrives on the screen. It doesn't start. It do, the, that movie doesn't start. Nobody, no, the I get giddy every fucking time, man. Every time. I mean, it I just, start jumping in my seat. It, it doesn't start. It arrives. And, mm. and so does Daniel Plainview's voice. Plainview arrives. I want to, I want to, that, that's one of my top five favorite moments of the movie. That's silence for not silence, but you, there's no words for 14 minutes. Yeah. And the first words spoken are his like opening soliloquy that ends with, or it starts with ladies and gentlemen and ends with when it comes to the final showdown, they won't be there. Um, it's stirring. It's just, it covers your body in goosebumps. So um, that, that part from what I understand is actually that speech that he gives is lifted directly from oil. Awesome. Cool. Minus, minus any dialect that may have okay. been there. But, but from my understanding, that makes and, sense. Yeah. Because, but, uh, but I mean, you let's backtrack a little bit. You have a Do silent it. film for 14 minutes, mm -hmm. not silent, but no dialogue, zero. Mm -hmm. In that time, what do you hear? You hear shovels, Blinking. you hear yeah. pickaxes, you hear elements of wind. You hear work. And, yeah. You you hear work and you hear earth. Mm -hmm. And that's that's all you Grunting. hear. Yeah. And you hear this, you see this man who's just this, I mean, who looks filthy, who looks dirty, who looks grungy. And then you hit this darkness and you hear a voice and you see that individual sitting there all cleaned up all sharp and it just again it, it's the it's the style of this film is just it's yeah it's unmistakable undeniable in your face like i'm the, the film arrives plain view arrives the score arrives in your ears none of this stuff just happens it's it's it, it's very it, it's I hate to say it, but it's theatrical. It's very dramatic. It, it doesn't pull any punches. No, none, none. Yeah. And and I don't think I'd ever really seen a movie that went that long without any dialogue before. Yeah, I was. I I didn't write anything down, but I was trying to think of parallels for that. I'm sure there are, but it going back to our, the first part of our conversation as we were, we were young people, really loving movies, and this came along at the right time, like a. Uh, a tool like that is is so shocking and draws you in and lets you know that you're in for a ride because you know you're not going to be watching the the uh, same yeah 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 i love it and i think if i can just get, while we're talking about this first 15 minutes of the movie i just want to say yeah, let's keep I going mean, the sounds of the tools themselves that yeah. it just nothing more in the repetitive nature of what he's doing. Mm -hmm. um, I think that that all adds up to the perfect biography of Plainview up until he hits success. It, that experience of, because the quietness of it all gives you that sense of slowness, of tediousness, Lulls of time. Yeah. Yes. Passing. And it really lets you know that this is something this person's been doing for a long time. Sure, you know it, it, it emphasizes that, and I just think that that was, it's. I mean, it's just brilliant. The whole film. There's a reason that, you know, it. 
there's a reason that it took us this long to be able to talk about this film this much. There's so much to take in. There's so much to absorb and so many different ways to slice it that you, you know, just you what a teach feat. a class. Um, yeah. We did a little bit on the beginning. Let's talk about the end. Okay. Um, we, we touched on it earlier by the end of this story. This man is, is completely detached from humanity, reality, the last semblance of, a family he actually he had in his life and he, he ends up killing someone again. Um, it's aesthetically, it's, it's incredible. The bowling alley, it's such a tight shot. Um, I, I love that part of the movie. Talk about your feelings about it. Yeah. One thing I'll say is that I believe um, I have to verify, but I'm pretty sure that I read that that scene was filmed in the Doheny mansion, which is who the, is a, the characters are like a composite of, of a couple, I believe. Of a few, but, but that's that guy one in of particular the, in that's house. Yeah. And I think that that house has been filmed in before and they were kind of, oh, do we really get to do this? Cause this house has been used in other movies, but it's just so perfect. And, you know, being from North Carolina, there's the Biltmore house. Um, and it, it reminds me of that, the, the bowling alley. It's such like a opulent, you know, thing to have in your house. Yeah, I mean, the square footage of my entire home would fit in that bowling alley. Yeah, I know. No doubt. I mean, um, I think the one thing that there's a moment in that scene that is probably one of my favorite. It's hard to say your favorite moment of the whole film. It's just it's impossible. I mean, yeah. but when Plainview does his little tap dance. Oh my God. It gives on me the alley man. floor. And I realized I am the revelation. I realized this time that the reason he's tap dancing is because he is this man had been living for years thinking that all of his that his will was done. That there was nothing more he could do. He's living in squalor. He's like having shooting practice. He's eating pieces of meat. He's got one guy in there cleaning up his shit. Yep. He's he's got no nothing. Purpose. No, purpose. no purpose. There's nothing left for him to attain. And yeah. I think that that Eli Sunday, like a fly in a spider's web, oh, comes he came back, back. Comes back within striking distance. You're so and I right. Think that that just brings him up and he does his little tap dance and he takes the swig of vodka out of his flask Ugh. and he knows he doesn't take a swig he like fucking jumps. downs it yeah and you know you fucking know he's, this is his moment he's gonna kill him he's you ready know it. he's you like know this it. is fucking it and yep. he, i love how he lets uh how he, he asks him he reciprocates what he made daniel do back in the oh, church yeah. and makes him scream to to the rafters and makes them pretend like their congregations right in front of you. And there's this beat and it just drops and he just lets them know, like there's nothing there. Mm. I fucking played you from the beginning. Yep. And now I'm going to kick your ass. Oh, it's, it's God damn, uh, we're rooting for this guy. Right. We, you, you are because again, because people listening to this are like, we're not rooting for this monster. Oh no, no they, are. they are. They are rooting. Oh, for totally. This because they, the people listening to this podcast don't work as hard as him. That's why we're all enamored by him. It's the yeah, work. It's oh, like, exactly. The guy is the guy has been beaten down by just everything, and he's persevered more than any of us could imagine. And it's just like, fuck it, you know. Like at some point, I mean, no, it's not right this that he. Butler's gonna clean this body up anyway. I'm gonna get exactly. away with it, <laughs> Mr. Daniel. Mr. Daniel. Mr. I'm Daniel. finished. I love it. Just yeah, like I'm, I'm finished, finished with my meal. I'm finished. Yeah. 
He is finished. He probably yep. died that night peacefully in his sleep. <laughs> probably did. He probably fucking did. No doubt. No um, doubt. All right, man. Honorable mentions, things we missed. You want to touch on anything else? Oh, uh, let's see. I mean, I think there's nothing, nothing, nothing that we missed. I mean, one thing I will say is just to kind of come back to the acting part from. Yeah, I mean, we can't you know, say from enough. Daniel Day Lewis. No, I mean, exactly. Yeah. That's what I wanted to say. I think uh, you cannot say enough about the power behind that performance there's just nothing there's nothing really quite like it out there i mean did he win best actor for that oh yes yeah. I, I i mean i, mean, I, I actually yeah, he don't definitely know. did well, no he did he had to um that that can't even that can't even be a thing um but you know you want to talk about awards that score yeah so this the nominations include nominated. best picture best picture best picture best director that won two Oscars for Best Actor and Best Cinematography. Makes sense. That, that's just the Oscars there. Yeah. So, no, I mean, I think that that's, I mean, we pretty much covered this. You, you're going to beat, we'll, we'll wind up beating dead, dead horses. Just beat the dead horse for a minute. It's fine. Go I mean, ahead. it just, you know, it's, no, I'm just saying, like, there's really not, the film is authentic from start to be, from end. I mean, you've got a writer who really uh, digs in to getting it right. You've got an actor who more than probably any other actor in our generation. I mean, I guess you could say jo- Joaquin's kind of creeping up in, in some regards. To like, yeah, but Joaquin is like tangible. Like Daniel Day-Lewis is like this other thing, man. Yeah, he is. I mean, he, he absolutely is. And I think you, you, you've got just... There's very few movies that are made that are just timeless, just mm. absolutely timeless. And and again, I think that that movie will thrill people for for as long as people are watching movies, no doubt. I certainly can't wait to watch it again. Right, right? <laughs> yeah, and I watched the second half of it right before we got on and recorded this, so I cannot fucking wait. Right? Perfect. It's a good one. Yeah. Well, Joshua, this has been one goddamn hell of a first show. To borrow yeah. another quote from the movie. And I can't wait to do it again. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We'll see you next time. All right. I'll see you next time, Ed. Thank you so much for listening to our first episode. I hope you all enjoyed our conversation about the movie. And we look forward to giving you more good discussions. So be safe, be kind, and we will talk to you next time. Thanks, y'all.